0: Hey what's good everybody this is Propaganda Anonymous and you are tuned in to the Propanon podcast. Join me as I explore topics discussed in the work of Robert Anton Wilson and interview some of the coolest people in the world. What do we talk about on the Propanon podcast? We talk story. We talk symbolic anthropology, crime and criminology, alternative reality games and UFOs. We talk conspiracy theory, comedy, comic books and quantum physics, liberation theology, negative theology, terrorism and music, sex, magic and drugs, psychedelics, housing and love. This is the Propanon Podcast. Tune in. Open your fucking ears, jackass. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the first official episode of the Propanon Podcast. Yeah. In this episode, I talk with Joseph Metheny, transmedia artist and creator of Ongsat, the first internet-based conspiracy theory and the first alternative reality game. So many firsts that come out of Methaney's mind. He's someone that uh needs to be listened to i think these days and i'm really happy that i got a chance to speak with him to listen to him unpack alternative reality reality games from the history of it through Ongsat, and then to where it went this manifestation of QAnon, which is this dark weaponized propagandized form of reality alternative reality game that fed this cult of personality for donald trump and was this giant cult And man, it was so cool listening to Methaney just break it all down because it was simple. And if you can listen to this, you can understand how not to get caught up in some cult-like bullshit. That's important to attune your bullshit detectors, get them sharp. And when you listen to people like Methaney, you'll understand how to do that. So without further ado, here's my interview with Joseph Methaney.
1: Where did the idea of Ong's Hat come from? Well, the first ideas
2: for the type of narrative that uh, AungSat became started in the eighties for me, pre-internet, but I was already playing around on uh, bulletin board systems, which were kind of the precursor of the internet definitely was where I first had my first internet access was through a bulletin board system. Um, These were prompt based, uh, usually Unix systems that you would dial into directly. And uh, there would be a bulletin board. Uh, I guess the the, uh, the modern equivalent would be like a web board, uh, but this was pre-web. And you would log into this machine and you would have conversations, threaded conversations with people over a period of time. You know, the web board is really uh, the web's version of a BBS bulletin board system, but... Back then, we only had the bulletin board system, no graphics, um, just straight straight text. And in looking at that, and thinking about all the things I'd been thinking about up to that point, which was a lot of different artistic influences, a lot of different technical influences, um, a lot of literary influences, I thought, you know, what would be cool is if you could have a book that wasn't just static words on a page, but that actually tied into other types of media so that if you're reading the book and it references a movie, you could go find that movie and watch the movie. If you're reading the book and it referenced a place, you could go to that place and maybe find some graffiti left behind by the character in the book, you know? And so basically what I was was after was, Uh, breaching the proscenium or or breaking the fourth wall, as they say in Hollywood, Um, looking for something that really jumped over from just a a standard narrative in a single medium to a narrative that could cross mediums and even cross over into real life and um, kind of feel almost like a LARP, which, you know, we were doing LARPs back then, but also we were doing uh, a lot of male art and we were doing uh, play-by-mail games, so there was this great convergence in the in the late '80s, early '90s of all these mediums, actually not just referencing each other, but actually having the ability to um, to take the user from the one medium to the other pretty seamlessly. And as time progressed, and the internet became something that people could publicly access, and multimedia became something that more and more people were creating and there was a, there was a platform for it, uh, that became even more seamless. So you could go from a phone call to the web, to a book, to a movie, like all these things were more seamless. The, 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 uh, the, the movement between the mediums could become more seamless, which for me was important to maintain the experience because um, when you have to step out of the experience, you kind of break the spell and, and the theatric uh, uh, ambiance is, is lost, the immersion effect is lost. So I started trying to put something together as early as the eighties that had that feel, knowing and thinking, well, believing, I shouldn't say not knowing, but believing and thinking that the technology was going to progress soon and that it would be there to facilitate my vision in its fullness, but I could at least get started with what I had. So, Onset started as um, a story that was co-written. Um, and then later I kind of took over the, the entire thing and just kept adding to it and adding to it. So I guess you could say it was, you know, it was almost Talmudic <laughs> um, in, in that, you know, stories were added to stories, were added to stories, but it started out as like four basic stories that all tied together. And it was a book catalog, which really was a series of short stories that was disguised as a book catalog. And then one of the pamphlets in that book catalog, isolated and written, and then two interviews with two characters from the story that I did. Um, One was with Nick Herbert, the other one was with Emory Cranston, in air quotes. and I started publishing this stuff wherever I could put it. Um, mail art catalogs, uh, early bulletin board systems, early magazines. A lot of magazines were, were part of this, this project. Um, and I was building a backstory for this grand finale, which I wanted to build, which was this kind of multimedia extravagant thing with people that were actors, they were playing characters, that were online. Uh, sometimes it was in person I would set up like these events where if people went to a certain restaurant on a certain day at a certain time, I would be there in character because I was a character in the story. You know, uh, one time we did a thing at Boulder Creek and Nick Herbert was there and a bunch of people showed up and, you know, he stayed in care. He played, you know, his character, Dr. Jabir. Um, so, you know, over the years, people asked me, what is it? And it's so many different disciplines that are tied together. That becomes difficult to really say without rambling for three hours. But what I I did is I came up with kind of a, a succinct way to put it, which is it's a art installation made for the new space, which was the internet, which means that it's an art installation that was no longer tethered to time and space. It was an art installation that was timeless and spaceless. Mm. It could go anywhere. Anybody from anywhere could interact with it. It basically played out in your head. That was really, that was the real medium, was the mind. Mm. Um, but the way that it was maintained was through what the, the later commercial ARG developers called TNAG, or this is not a game, which is, we all know this is a game, but we none of us talk about the fact that it's a game. So. You know, it's like that, um, reminds me of that scene in the movie, Ed Wood, where uh, uh, one of the walls wobbles while he's shooting it. And somebody goes, don't we want to edit, shoot that again? And he's like, haven't you heard of suspension of disbelief? Um, <laughs> we were kind of playing with that concept, which is we all know this is a game, but we're none of us are going to have to like ruin the game. I talk like, like when you're in a LARP, right? If you, if you do like a vampire LARP on the streets of Santa Cruz, which we used to do all the time. Nobody talked about the fact that it was a larp while you were larping because it ruins the experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. You're in character, you stay in character until the game is over, then you all go out and get a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or wrestling is a great another example. Uh, Kfab, I think they call it, which is the two guys in the ring. One's a bad guy, one's a good guy. They already know who's going to win before it starts. They go through the motions. They hate each other. They go off. They, they go out of the ring. They talk crap about each other. Then the cameras go dark. They go out and they get a drink together, right? right. So uh, politics is like that too. I hear, um, <laughs> you know, like congressmen that hate, congressmen that hate each other actually go drinking together. So, you know, it, it's all it's all just a thing that people do so that you can have the utmost of the experience in the moment, and that's really what I was after was this um, ex- this experiment in medium, um, which I saw the internet as being the perfect vehicle for. And, and and I was right, unfortunately, too right in some some ways, but uh, as it turned out, but, but I was right, is that um, it it makes this really nice
1: immersive experience. So that's the shortest way I can tell you what it is. For sure. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, I mean, it, there, there's so much going on. There's such a, a, a cohesion of different, uh, you know, media elements. Um, and then when when it came out, you know, especially on the early internet, it was so, um, you know, future anticipatory, you were already, you know, digesting what was to come, you know, which is the role of a true artist, you know, so I tip my cap to you for doing that, you know, and um, I guess there is one thing that we can't, it's hard to describe exactly what it is in some ways, but perhaps we can, uh, you know, speak about the structure of the plot, you know, which itself was so cool, uh, you know, first learning about, um, because these, these uh, ARG sort of games, they, it's, it's the structure of the game itself, but then it's also the plot that, that drives it, you know, forward in different Mm -hmm. ways, obviously, like all, great fiction. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of the... Well, I mean, very briefly, like, this is my own quick hackney breakdown of the Ong's Hat plot, right? And please, uh, you know, interject with, with other, other facts about it. Uh, but <laughs> this is what I have. Uh, there's a facility headed by renegade uh, Princeton professors who conducted quantum physics chaos theory experiments and uh, according to conspiracy theories, discovered a new theory for dimensional travel, utilizing mm-hmm. an egg, which was an, a wild uh, computer <laughs> interface sort of living thing, it seemed like, uh, totally anticipating, we're, we're not even there yet, the future of this internet technology that is still coming, this, this crazy interaction between you know, our minds and, and this, this hardware, right? So much like what Elon Musk is
2: doing now, which is the, the mind the mind computer interface, which is... Neuralink. Much more than that. There's, there's other people working on that as well. He's just the most popular uh, character. But I mean, it's much more than that if you think about it. It's the mind computer interface is the first step of what it really represents, which is the mind network interface, which is if your mind is networked to a computer device, that has network access. Okay, what does that mean? Like now you're part of a giant mind that everybody else has tapped into. And you know, if you're a dystopian, you're gonna go, the Borg. And if you're a utopian, you're gonna say it's it's the Gaia mind. You know, we're facilitating the Gaia mind. So my guess is because we're human is probably gonna be some of both.
1: (laughs) Sure. And I mean, and then the the needed capacity for all of us to learn, or, you know, uh, the ability to know the difference between these now, uh, what is propaganda going to look like, uh, and, and bullshit and disinformation going to look like in this new age of instant. What does it conversion? look like now, dude? It's you like, know? it's unrecognizable at this point. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I like Robert Anton Wilson so much, as do so many people, is that again, here was another artist that seemed to be anticipating this ontological crisis, you know, mm-hmm. that, that we're now in. Um, and he, he had some optimistic hope that humans can utilize their reason and rationality and learn the difference between, uh, you know, wild assertions and claims and proofs, you know, and then this will transduce, hopefully, in terms of watching the Internet and, and things on the Internet and where it's going to be able to tell when something is straight propaganda or something else. Um, I mean, this kind of just quickly segues into quick discussion of QAnon. Uh, Recently read a a cool article by Reid Berkowitz, uh, which basically said a game designers, an ARG designers take on QAnon. Mm -hmm. And uh, he mentioned a lot of really interesting things, but the one thing that resonated with me was that he basically said, QAnon, though it looks like an alternative reality game, is actually not. It's propaganda that utilized this model and vessel of the alternative reality game.
2: So it is an alternative reality. I would disagree. I'd say it is It is an ARG. It's just a weaponized ARG. Can you uh, you know, extrapolate on that a little bit? Like Yeah, so this is funny. So after 9-11, um, I saw this really weird, hard right turn in the conspiratainment sector of the internet. Mm. Previous to that, I found it all, you know, amusing. Like, maybe I'm crazy, but I or stupid, or naive. I didn't really believe there were that many people in the world that thought David Icke's reptilian thing was to be taken seriously, right? I didn't take it seriously. I just s- assumed that most people didn't. I, I'm wrong. I, I know now that I'm wrong. And as I started to meet some of those people and realize that I was wrong, I started to like really, because of the position I was in, I had probably 50, because I had gone on coast to coast, probably 50% of the people by 2001 that were gathered around the forums that were dedicated to the Youngstack game really had become hardcore conspiracy theorists. And they were there, you know, to be believers and they were, you know, Really a big reason why I started to back off and, and wind it down and, and say, you know, look, first I had to put out a statement, which actually had always been there on the CD-ROM called the secret document. That basically said, this is a game, these are the influences, this is what I've been doing, you know, and, and besides that, I, I'd done several interviews over the years where I said, you know, out of character, this is what we're doing, da 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 and I archived those on my website. I never took them down. I never hit them. They're always there. If anybody wanted, if anybody had a, well, first of all, I'd never thought in my wildest dreams that somebody would read this material and not see the obvious references to things like Church of the Subgenius, you know, uh, and say, oh, this is, this is a joke or this is a game or whatever. Like, but it's not to be taken seriously. I never thought that there would be people doing that, but there were. So I told as many people as I thought needed to hear that, that, you know, you do understand that this is a game. And and then I put out a public statement in 2001 that it, before 9-11 happened that I was gonna wind this down. And then 9-11 happened and I said, I'm out. Cause I had already actually kind of gone off and started working on the Majestic project with EA. Okay. Um, and um, when 9-11 happened, that project got canned. And um, they never really publicly said that's why, but privately we were told that's why, because there was already stuff that was, the game had already been written. There was like, you know, all this money had been poured into shooting video segments and it all had to do with a renegade, um, uh, some sort of, uh, what would you call it? A resistance movement that was bombing buildings. Like, you know, it just wasn't stuff that you were, (laughs) that you could do anymore. Like just right post 9-11, like, you know, the cold chill had fallen. You weren't that, this was not funny. This was not even allowed. They weren't even playing Neil Young on the radio. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's like everything, everything got really tight for a while. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I just like, I wound my game down. The Majestic wound down. I never really got to do the last part of Ongs Hat, which was, would have been where uh, we had a recap when Game Over was declared. And we all sat on the forums and we talked about what I was most interested in. What was your experience? Your Each person I want to like, hear what their experience was. And I wanted everybody to be respectful of everybody's view. And by that time, the forum had become overrun with multiple groups of people who were there for various reasons all conspiratorial one or either to prove that what I was doing was was part of a government psyop or they were there because um, they were claiming that they actually knew that Aung's Hat was real but that I was an idiot saying it wasn't so everybody should follow them and that was like five or six of those groups and they just all became very chaotic and crazy and ugly and so I had really started to wonder like well what's going on here and so I I kind of like went silent for a while and just stayed in the background and listened to a lot of what people were saying and I I, I noticed that there was a very serious right-wing totalitarian uh, chatter that was going on privately with a lot of these conspiracy groups they'd really taken a hard turn right and I remember when I first got into conspiracy theory in the 80s, it was mostly like old Kennedy assassination dudes that were turning me on. So it was all very lefty, right? <laughs> and, and now all of a sudden there's like this new injection with all the people now coming on the internet with, you know, AOL allowed the whole world to come on the internet and then the world could just get on the internet. And so it really changed from like the early adopters on the internet. I think were more uh, experimental left libertarian, lefty, definitely drug-oriented culture. You know, Robert Anton Wilson was big, like uh, Terrence McKenna was huge on the internet at the beginning, Hakim Bay, like all this stuff was like very kind of counterculture. Mm. And then the mainstream people started to come in and then you started to see this weird, they they started to like get, they started to absorb this conspiracy stuff that was online and they started to go their own kind of John Birch direction with it. And it was very
1: weird. So I started to see this as a real something that we should pay attention to. Because QAnon's interject real quick. First dropped in uh, October 2017. And right, right. It crystallized everything that you're talking about, and like put it on steroids. And it's like jump yep. society times exponentially, whatever. Yep. Now, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was like all the all the worst
2: parts of weird conspiracy theories. So it was like flat earth people, <laughs> which, you know, Discordians used to make fun of like 40 years ago, but like, here we are, they're still around, um, you know, uh, the reptilian agenda, um, the the SRA thing, um, you know, that got woven in. So like all you think of like all the worst things that Alex Jones has ever exploited <laughs> in the last 20 years. And, and you kind of you know, stir it all into a big pot and you call it QAnon. I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, well, guess what? I, I really can't not talk about this. I, I feel obligated to talk about this because they're using my methods and I don't like that. And, and on top of it, people had started to say, oh, this is like Ong's hat, which uh, no, it's not. I mean, it is, but it's not, it, it, you know, it follows the formula but content wise is nothing and, and intention wise is definitely nothing like it. So, you know, I, I put off like retiring from talking about this and I spent a lot of time in 2020 uh, talking about there's stuff that's still coming out this month that came from 2020. And all I talked about in 2020 was QAnon. Um, that's all anybody wanted to talk to me about, but that's also all I wanted to talk about because I really felt like there, there needed to be somebody Pointing out that look, this is something that follows the strategy of an ARG, mm-hmm. but it's weaponized and um, and then like I noticed like later last year when the mainstream media finally finally started to pay attention to this movement because it's a cult. Mm-hmm. There's no other way to describe it. Why is QAnon a cult, right? Well, it's it's um, it basically is. Uh, asking you to suspend common sense to throw critical thinking out the window um, and believe uh, these these ideas which which are unsubstantiated there's like the, and, and on top of it there's no way you could substantiate them right so i could say right now i could say somebody's name and i could say that they're a, a satan worshiping pedophile who's killing children to extract adrenochrome. Okay, I can say that. I can say that on a forum somewhere. If I'm smart, I probably wouldn't do it with my real name attached to it because I could get sued. So I would be anonymous. So I could say anything I want to say. On top of it, what I would do is I would get a bunch of people interested in um, searching for clues in material that really doesn't have any clues, but it's nebulous material kind of liminal so it could mean anything it wants to mean to anybody who wants it to mean something to them so they're looking for patterns they're going to find them right Uh, we know this as discordians it's called starbucks pebbles if you're looking for fives you're going to find fives if you're looking for 23s you're going to find 23s Um, but unfortunately most people have not read cosmic trigger most people have not read Principia Discordia. Most people have not read Illuminatus Trilogy. Even some people that have took it seriously. Believe it or not, man, I have met people that I have to call Discordian Orthodox. I, I can't call them anything else. Um, they really missed the fucking point. I mean, that's just nothing you can do about that. There's always going to be those people. But Q basically is working towards these days, I don't, I don't like, towards the end, I'm not really sure that, that the Q people that were puppet mastering it even knew what they were working towards other than selling merch. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, at least, it was to build a belief system around the cult of Donald Trump, which is a cult of personality. Mm-hmm. And they were there to really, you know, build his reputation as some sort of do-gooder. Like, you know, Donald Trump's going to ride in on a white horse. He's going to take all these people and the great, what they call it, the great awakening and then the right. the... The storm yeah, yeah. is coming, and they're going to round all these people up like Hillary Clinton and her friends are going to put them in prison, and they're going to be public executions. And blah 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 blah. Basically, just like any cult, um, they were promising something that that was never going to happen. There was no way to substantiate that that was you know there was no provable way to say that this was was or was not going to happen. But if you were uh, using your common sense, you could say probably not. But most of these people were using common sense. They were looking for something to believe in is what they were looking for. And so like, just like a cult, you find damaged people that are looking for parental figures, they're looking for love, they're looking for a community, they're looking for all these different things that they feel like they don't have. And instead of looking in the right places, right around them, they look in the wrong places. So they end up hooking up with some person who's charismatic or enigmatic. In the case of Q, Q's enigmatic. Um, charismatic, not so much, because you know if you've read these drops, they're pretty uncharismatic, but they're very enigmatic. But they do hit the high points of repeating the slogans again. Occult, another another quality of a cult, to have simple, digestible slogans. Doesn't matter if they they really make that much sense, but they uh, but there's something that's repeatable and they seem to make sense because they simplify complex issues to a sentence. So they're bumper stickerisms, right? Mm -hmm. And so they can repeat them to each other. They can repeat them in large groups and rhythmic shouting and chanting, all the things that make a cult, which is basically a brainwash, uh, a giant brainwash that's happening to a bunch of people to themselves collectively, mostly doing it to themselves because a cult can never be successful unless the cult members are participating willingly in this brainwashing, right? So it's, yeah, it's partly the the bad intention of a bad actor, i.e. the cult leader, but mostly I would put the blame for what happens with the cult on, on the shoulders of the cult members because they're participating, they're not questioning, they're not practicing baby logic, they're, they're, you know, like all these things that they're not doing. I don't think we can expect them to to be honest with you, because I don't think the ideas of somebody like Robert downtown Wilson, or even uh, different uh, and language theories and, and E-Prime and things like that, most people have not been exposed to that, dude. Like I didn't get any of that stuff in college. So all these people that are having these experiences, they're getting bombarded with this highly sophisticated form of technology that is being weaponized to control them to mostly separate them from their money, um, but also to use them in a in a larger social movement to do stupid things like rush to capital, um, which you know worked. It happened, um, but basically just to have a large group of people that are that they can manipulate to their to their ends and means. So, you know, you've got players like Steve Bannon and people like that that are more than willing to use those people. But the long the short story the the, the short answer I guess is. Is a cult is a group of people that are willing to all suspend disbelief together towards a towards a common goal, and uh, you know Scientology would fit that uh, description, Christianity would fit that description, <laughs> and Q fits that description. It's just Q's just the newest player on the stage. That's really the difference. <laughs> Okay, all
0: right folks. Well that is the show. Thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that really dope interview with Joseph Methaney. Breaking down the cult of QAnon Weaponized ARGs Liberation Found and different dope works from dope writers and artists like Robert Anton Wilson. Hey, if you want to uh learn more and, and read more of uh Methaney's work, uh head over to his website right now it's uh pretty easy it's his name joseph J O E S P H M A T H E N Y j-o-e-s-p-h-m-a-t-h-e-n-y.com joseph uh it's currently uh two books deep into his trilogy the liminal cycle trilogy which is a super cool transmedia project uh right now kind of represented. In two books, uh, the first one is uh, it's called Liminal. The second one is uh, it's called it's spelled X E N, the Zen of the Other. You know what I mean? So maybe it's like Jen or something like that, the Zen of the Other. And I believe the third project he uh, he might be working on it right now. It might be a screenplay and maybe it's a movie. You know what I mean? But you know. Nathaney is a super interesting and exciting artist, so definitely check his website. And uh, yeah, check out my website too, chapelperilous.us to find out more about my upcoming book, Chapel Perilous, The Life and Thought Crimes of Robert Anton Wilson. Uh, I handed in the manuscript to my publishers recently. Things are looking good. Uh, We're looking at next fall, I I hope, 2023, you know what I mean? So that's going to be a really dope, so time to release this this rec- this uh, record, this book, you know, I'm super psyched. It's been a long time in the making. And uh, again, it's a biography of uh, Robert Anton Wilson's Life and Times, um, an artist that, you know, I, I feel grateful to have studied so much of his life and work because I feel like I learned a lot uh, of how to survive as an artist in the 20th century, now the 21st century. And uh, yeah, so I've been posting uh, a lot recently on the website, um, uh, a lot of these classes that Robert Anton Wilson taught in his, basically his final project, uh, the Maybe Logic Academy. Um, So I have about three classes of his, uh, multi-week classes, uh, assignments that I've been posting. And then I've been, you know, providing my own commentary on the classes. So that's been pretty cool. You know, so if you're a Robert Anton Wilson fan, um, this is like the last unwritten book of Robert Anton Wilson. <clears throat> All the uh, the stuff he talked about at the Lodge Academy was pretty dope. It was pretty awesome and it was like it was like reading another Bob book, only you were there writing the book with him, you know, which was pretty cool. Uh, So, yeah, head over to chapelperilous.us, chapelperilous.us, to uh, read more about all this dope material. And uh, until then, thank you very much, folks. God bless you. Good night.